Hi, and welcome to this week's Physics Buzz podcast. I'm Mike Lucibella. South of Dallas, Texas, lies the site of what was almost the biggest science experiment in the world. The superconducting supercollider would have been an atom smasher that would have dwarfed CERN's LHC. A giant ring of underground tunnels, 54 miles around, were planned to house the accelerator's long beamlines. But it was not to be. The plug was pulled on the project in 1993, and all that remains today is a collection of derelict buildings. To get an idea of what the SSC might have been like, I spoke to science writer Lizzie Wade and UC Santa Cruz professor Michael Reardon, both of whom are independently working on histories of the project. In 1991, Reardon was part of the consortium of research institutions building the project. Keen-eared listeners might recognize Lizzie's voice from an earlier podcast. In 2009, she and her boyfriend Nick visited the site of the old SSC in their Summer of Science road trip across the United States. I don't think it's it's an exaggeration to say that the superconducting supercollider is the greatest unrealized dream of American particle physics. It was an attempt to build a 20 trillion volt on 20 trillion volt proton-proton collider down in uh, Waxahachie, Texas. It was going to be uh, the biggest particle accelerator in the world, the most powerful. The super collider would have, would have been about well, three to four times as energetic as the LHC today. Uh, which is fascinating to me that we could have done we could have done that 20 years ago, and for various reasons we didn't. With the benefit of hindsight, the project almost seems destined for trouble from its conception. I actually trace its origins back into the 1970s uh, when physicists began talking about an international machine that was too large for any one uh, nation to build. It was called the Very Big Accelerator. And in the early 1980s, it was uh, taken up by American physicists as a way to respond to the European challenge. Europe at that time was vigorously building two new particle accelerators, and it was about to discover the W and the Z bosons. And the United States felt that it was falling behind in particle physics. James Reardon, no relation to Michael, is the head of media relations here at APS. In 1989, he was part of the team working to physically build the Texas Atom Smasher. I graduated from college in, in 89 and decided that instead of going to graduate school, I wanted to go work on the super collider. Why is it you decided to, to go right to the super collider? I figured you had to get in early, and if I spent time in graduate school, I'd miss an opportunity to work on what I thought would be the biggest, best particle accelerator ever. What was your job back when you worked at the uh, SSC? I was uh, a bit player. I was one of many hundreds of engineers and, and dozens of physicists working on the on the accelerator at the time. Initially, when I was developing the particle beam detectors. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the lab building actual detectors and testing them by, by simulating it. We would put a wire through that would simulate the beam to, and move the wire around to see how that affected the signals in the beam detectors. What was it like working there? It was great. It was like it was like physics nirvana because we would have these Nobel laureates and uh, just all sorts of famous politicians and things would stop by and every week we'd have seminars with, with you know, Marie Gelman or whatever pop whatever Nobel laureate happened to be in town at the time, and there were always multiple Nobel laureates in town. But behind this physics dreamland, tensions were building between the worldviews of the lab's management, many of whom came from other government projects, and the working scientists and engineers. There was certainly this feeling like there were the people that wanted to control the message. They, there was a lot of the, you don't talk about 
what we're doing outside of the lab. You don't uh, you don't talk about difficulties. You don't talk about arguments and contentions. And then there's the more academic group that we're like, look, this is science that belongs to the public. It should be university style. So most of the people that I worked with were more university style academicians. But certainly there was an attempt to sort of keep things buttoned down and control the message. In coming from the military industrial complex, you simply order people to do things. Okay? And then some of that is necessary in, in building million dollar million dollar facilities. Uh, but that's not the way that high energy physicists treat one another. Certainly this sort of control freak kind of aspect to some of the people there, which didn't work at all. As a matter of fact, I think it, it probably made things a lot worse and that people were more disgruntled and more likely to talk in unpleasant ways than, than they would have if we had just acted like it was a university-style setting. Other conflicts were also festering just behind the scenes. They would schmooze, they'd bring um, potential contributors, the, the Japanese uh, um, delegation, to come in and show them around. And so there would be these kind of lavish parties that were almost embarrassingly lavish to the rest of us. And I think part of the, when they canceled the funding, part of the reason behind that was this sort of waste of money that a lot of people saw. At least they, they talked about that in the news at the time. I mean, there certainly was this disconnect that came, I think, in part because of those en enormous lavish parties. We, the engineers and physicists, would be working, toiling day in, day out, and we'd come in and see the remains of these parties. And it did feel like uh, they were sort of a, I don't know, almost royalty around the lab, even though they weren't that involved in the day-to-day -day activities. Costs started swelling uncontrollably, public support waned, and Congress finally pulled the plug in October of 1993. What had been built was disassembled, and the 14 miles of tunnels that had been dug were filled back in. Michael Reardon said that he saw three major reasons for the project going belly up. Uh, the first, and I think the most important, was the fact that the uh, cost increased and continued to increase, and uh, nobody could really set a firm limit on the total cost of the project. Uh, the original cost was set at uh, something like $5.9 billion when Congress decided to go ahead with it in 1989. Uh, some people, probably in the extreme uh, end of the tail, were, were saying that it might go as high as $20 billion at the time it was terminated. I think that's a little extreme, but I think $15 billion might not have been uh, uh, impossible. All of us in the lab, there were lots of rumors that this sort of inflation in cost was going to be a problem. Um, I didn't realize how accurate that prediction was. Two, uh, there was no real serious uh, foreign contribution to the project. The Japanese, I believe, were ready to come in at the scale of one to two billion dollars. They just needed to be asked by uh, the President of the United States uh, either George Bush or uh, Bill Clinton, and uh, that request never came. A big science project can't be dependent on one country's whims and yearly appropriations. That just isn't sustainable. As many countries as you can have that have a stake in a big science project, the better. Not only because it creates more stable financial situation for the lab itself, but because you just get so many more perspectives and so many more so many more languages and so many more ways of learning science and thinking about science and doing science. Uh, the third reason is a more, what I call a macro-historical reason, uh, is that uh, 
the basis for funding of a large uh, high energy physics projects uh, at the time was changing from a post from a Cold War footing onto a post Cold War footing. To really understand this reason, you have to go back and understand the political landscape when the project was first proposed and what changed since then. In the middle of the 1980s was a time when we were still fighting the Cold War. That it was important to have the best possible high-energy physicists uh, would win Nobel Prizes, just like it was important to have the best astronauts or to have the best, you know, Olympic athletes. Because in the, during the Cold War, you were competing for the hearts and minds of the third world. And with the end of the Cold War, that um, that motivation, that political motivation ceased to exist, beating the Russians in this race for knowledge. And in a post-Cold War world, uh, it was uh, much more necessary to justify a science project on the basis of its uh, impact or possible impact on things like U.S. competitiveness. Uh, in that area, the SSC could make only uh, fairly weak claims that it could contribute to by way of spinoffs to economic competitiveness. When you found out that the project was going to be canceled, was that something sudden? Michael Reardon you know, kind of described it as a death by a thousand cuts. Was that your experience? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, we, I think that we, working engineers and physicists at the, at the lab, saw it coming at least a year in advance. And even before that, there were rumors that things were getting sort of out of control. They couldn't get the Japanese to contribute, at least initially. I don't know that they ever agreed to come on board. But it seemed like we spent a, a lot of time and money trying to to bring in these sorts of people, and it just wasn't wasn't working. Was there kind of um, a change in attitude as time progressed? Um, I, yeah, it got uh, very depressing after a while. When uh, many of the people, my colleagues, had bought houses in Waxahachie, they had built whole uh, developments just because so many of us came down to, to join the project. And those people in particular were very depressed because. They knew that if the lab shut down, that they would just get pennies on the dollar when they went to sell their houses. What was your sense of, happened to your, of what happened to your coworkers? Uh, a number of them stayed to sell equipment, and those guys were the ones that were the most depressing to get in touch with. They were staying actually in the building, and the building was empty of employees, and they were just selling the pieces, um, which seemed like kind of a bleak existence. But most of them went back to major laboratories. One went to uh, an accelerator in Trieste. A couple went to Slack, that sort of thing. The abandoned buildings are still there, rusting away towards oblivion. No one seems to be able to figure out a use for the derelict physics lab in rural Texas. And that's all for this week's Physics Buzz podcast. To hear more of our podcasts or read the blog post from March when the Physics Buzz team visited the SSC, check out our website at www.physicscentral.com. Thanks for listening.